Well, we're in the middle of the series, and, and we're, really, we just kicked it off last week. And we began looking at this issue of, of Christianity and what is a Christian and what does that look like? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What would happen if we got lasered focused and, and turned up the heat in our, in our spiritual life, our Christian life? What would that look like? And, and so we're just going to go a little bit deeper. And actually, I am praying that you guys stay with me. It's a seven-week series because we're just going to keep going deeper and deeper and just look at this really important subject that... Uh, that we just have to talk about, and we just have to understand. Uh, I have a pastor friend. He lives in, in Colorado Springs. He pastors there. And he, when his son, Caleb, was six years old, Caleb was using the pastor's son card uh, on Sunday mornings to score cookies and donuts and special treatment with the adults. And so Caleb would go from Sunday school classroom to Sunday school classroom, ask for donuts, ask for cookies, and then he'd always throw in that, hey, I'm the pastor's son. And so word gets back to... Caleb's mom, uh, that Caleb is doing this. So they're coming home one day from running errands. And so she says, Caleb, have you been telling people at church that you're like the pastor's son for your, for your gain and uh, to score cookies and donuts? And so Caleb starts to die and laugh and say, yeah, mom, I'm doing that. And she goes, well, here's the deal. That's just not how we roll. I mean, that's just not who we are. Uh, we don't use the pastor deal for financial gain, for any type of gain, for spe- special treatment. So son, for here on out, I do not want you to tell anybody that you're the pastor's son. You understand? I understand. Next Sunday, Caleb goes to, to church, but he wants donuts and cookies. So he goes to this, this classroom, and he asks for some donuts. And, and the, the lady looking at him and looked at him and says, Well, aren't you the pastor's son? And Caleb goes, Well, I thought I was, but my mom says I'm not. <laughs> now, that would kill church growth right there. I mean... That will bring church growth down to a screeching halt, and all kinds of rumors will go out as a result of that. So that's just funny, right? If you're not my friend. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of explaining to do, right? And so, but the way that we refer to ourselves, the way that we describe ourselves is really important, right? And so we're in this series, and we're looking at this issue. What does it mean to be a Christian? And even what does that word mean? And see, for me, my journey about this word started in like 1994. I had uh, felt led of God, and I was working in engineering at the time. And so I start this youth at risk ministry. I start this ministry for a group of kids that were really not wanted by their family and whatever. But what made this ministry unique was is we were reaching kids and gangs in the most affluent area of Houston, Texas. And see, up until this point, people told you, statistics reflected that gangs and this type of behavior was only in the inner city, but that was not true. And so we were reaching kids, and, and we met in a racquetball center once a week, and, I mean, God began to do some unbelievable things, and we're, like, baptizing kids in the jacuzzi uh, of that racquetball center with all sorts of stuff going on. And, and so all of a sudden, Texaco here's what we're doing. And it gotten out in the community. The schools were talking about it. Some of the teachers were referring kids to us. And and so Texaco met with me and said, we would like to give you a grant for a quarter of a million dollars. And for me, that was a lot of money. I mean, we had like this small nonprofit, but that nonprofit was funded by Karen and I. And so that was just, that was a ginormous sum of money. And they says, what we'll do is year one, we'll give you a quarter of a million dollars and we'll see how things go. And if things go well, we'll, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna really fund you the next year. And we want to put your logo with our logo. And we have these different community initiatives that we do and that we work in the community and we try to get uh, involved in the community. And so we'd like to partner with you. 
And so, great. So we started working out all the details. We started working everything out. And then we got to the point to where they planned the press conference when we would meet with the press, and there would be this announcement, and they told me, like, what to wear and what to say and how to handle myself there and the time. And, and so, but they said, wait, wait a minute. we got one preliminary thing that we need to do. We need to send a representative and sit through one of your Tuesday night gatherings with your students. We already know the good that it's doing. We already know the result. But we just need to send someone. Just It's just formalities, and we'll send some. So they did. And it was a really great night. And in fact is, this gentleman, the representative from Texaco, even shared with the kids about his life and some things. And it was just one of those great nights. Well, a few days after that, I was shocked. I get a letter from Texaco. And, you know, you're like, hope this is the check letter. And, but it's a Dear John letter. And they say, you know what, after, you know, it's worded so it's politically correct and all that other stuff. And they say, you know, after looking at this and investigating this, we've decided not to partner with you. And thanks for the relationship and, you know, we wish you the best and all that stuff. And I was like shocked. And so I call up, I call that guy up and I said, hey, what happened? And he was real evasive. And I said, no, 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 seriously, seriously, what happened? And he goes, ah, you know, we're just headed. At, I said, listen. I'm not mad, not upset, because my trust is not in Texaco, it's in God. And I was, I was doing this ministry before you, I'll be doing this ministry after you. And listen, let me tell you something, for just a little bit of backstory to this, God used that event in my life because two weeks after that door closed, this door opened. So God used it to help me understand the end of that ministry had come to an end, the season, and God opened this door. But I needed to know, so I kind of pushed the guy and said, listen, just please help me understand I'm not mad. I'm not angry. He goes, well, man, after sitting through your group and I reported back, we're just, we're just afraid you're one of those. One of those? Yeah, we're afraid you're one of those Christians. What do you mean, those Christians? Well, you know. You know, there's these Christians. And, man, they're spreading hate. And they're judging people. I mean, what would ha- I mean, we're just so afraid. What would happen if our logo was with your logo and we're in this partnership and you led your group to picket something or protest something or hold up signs saying God hates a group of people? We're afraid. It had cost us a large sum of money because you're one of those Christians. I mean, the deal with this word Christian and Christianity, it's so broad. And it means so many things to so many. I mean, I've heard stories from people in this church. They say, I invited a friend to church. And they say, well, wait a minute. I'm worried you're one of those Christians. I'm worried. Maybe what if they judge me? What if they don't accept me? I'm, I'm worried. I've been, you know, I worked with a Christian once. I was burnt by that person. They were as unethical and hurtful. Man, I don't, I don't know. You see... If someone stopped you on the street, and I don't think they would, but if someone stopped you on the street and says, hey, by the way, you a Christian? Some of you would say, yes. Some of you would say, yes, but. Yes, but I'm not like those other Christians. Yes, but I'm not like those judgmental Christians. Yes, but I'm not like those Christians that go to to uh, funerals of military guys or, or people that have a different lifestyle. I don't, I don't hold up signs that God hates them. I'm not like those. I mean, some would go, well, I was once a Christian, but my church taught that you could once be a Christian, 
And you could do a certain set of sins. You could commit a sin, and you're like no longer a Christian. And then some of you, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Once a Christian, always a Christian. You can't be, there's no such thing as a once. You're only an is. You see the crazy deal about this issue of Christianity? We no longer even know what it means. And, and the reason is, is because only three times in the Bible was this word ever used. And this word was never used by a Jesus community, a group of people that followed him. Never. Jesus never used this word. The, in, in the book of Acts, the, follow, the Jesus community never used this word. See, the three times that it appears in the New Testament, it was always a derogatory term. It was, it was always a term that tried to describe a people group and says, because you talk like that, because you act like that, because you do those things, oh, you must be what? You must be one of those Christians. It was derogatory. But there's a word in Scripture that is used by a group of Jesus followers, by a group of people that were in this Jesus community. And this word was used over 256 times. And listen, the problem with Christianity, it is so broad that we have defined it, we have redefined it, we have misdefined it, we have, and we've made it really to really not... See, here's the... If you want to, you can hide behind Christianity and the word Christian all day long, and you can justify some horrible things. People go to war in the name of Christianity... People spread hate in the name of Christianity. People live lives that are opposed to the Scripture all in the name of Christianity. But there's a word in the Bible, and it is a terrifying word, and it is a convicting word, and it is a word that is so defined, oh my. It's a word, disciple. That's why in the book of Acts it said when the word spread, the disciples were what? Added daily. It didn't say the Christians were added daily. Jesus said, follow me and be my disciples. See, in their culture, that word disciple meant follower, meant pupil, meant student. That word disciple in their culture meant that you followed your rabbi, that you followed your teacher, that you followed Jesus so closely that it was your desire. The way he acts, I'll act. The way he thinks about that, the way I, he, I'll think about that. The way he handles that situation, I'll handle that situation. The word disciple meant that you followed him so closely that all of a sudden your life looked exactly like his life and everybody knew that you were his disciple because of the way you lived your life. That's why Jesus said, you want to know how they'll know you're my disciple? If you love one another like I love you, that's how they'll know. And so we're in this series, Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 is all we're going to look at this morning. If you have your Bibles, iPads, iPhones, droids, Kindles, nooks, whatever you use to look at Scripture. And let me tell you, it is just, it is, it is okay with us. And so let's read the, the text and then, then we'll, we'll look at this. Verse 13, Mark chapter 3. 
And so he went up to a mountain, he's talking about Jesus, and so he went up to a mountain and he called to those whom he desired, and they came to him. And Jesus appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, so they may be with him, and he may send them out to preach. Now listen, this is the first call of, of, of disciples of Jesus. This is the first call. This is the call to the original twelve. And so I just want to give you this morning just three quick things, three, three quick single words. That's how I remember things easier, and hopefully you remember. And I made it real easy. They all start with the same letter, okay? So, I mean, I need it easy, right? I need things. You know what I need? I need things that I can remember. I mean, I mean sometimes we can get so complicated that, that, you know what? There's just no way I can remember that. There's no way I can grab that. There's no way I can understand that. So the first thing, one of the identifiers of, a, of one of these disciples is, is this, is, is there is first a, an invitation. Jesus first just made an invitation. I mean, this is what he says and. In, in verse 13, and he says he just simply called to them. He called to him. He, he called to the original 12. He called. It was just a simple invitation. Now listen, this word called in the Greek is so deep, it means to call to oneself. But here's, here's even deeper, okay? So it's called to oneself with a reciprocal relationship. In other words, it's this living, breathing, dynamic relationship that we have a relationship with him. He has a relationship with us. And so Jesus was calling them in. Now listen, now this is where we kind of differ from when people try to define out this Christianity thing. Now listen, it's going to make you nervous, but, but he did not call them to a destination. He didn't even call them to eternity in heaven right here. See, that's what happens. People with Christianity and people that look at this issue of Christianity, you know what they talk about? They talk about where you're going to spend eternity, right? That's all they talk about. See, for them, it's just on rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. It's hopefully that I'll do enough good stuff and more good stuff than bad stuff. Hopefully, I'll put in enough weekends. I'll put in enough Saturday nights. I'll put in enough Sundays. I'll go to enough Easter services so that when I die, maybe the man upstairs will accept me and let me into heaven. See, Christianity, the do's and the don'ts, never gives anybody any comfort. Never. Because you can never do enough, right? And so Jesus just simply called to them with this reciprocal relationship. And listen, I, I get this. I know that, that on a lot of people's minds, it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's heaven. Yes, it's heaven. Yes, that's... But let me tell you something. Heaven is the icing on the cake. Jesus is enough without heaven. See, Christians look at it only impacts my life where I, where I spend eternity. That's where their lives can be a wreck today. That's why they can be judgmental. That's why they can be critical. That's why they can be divisive. That's why they can be mean. Because they don't see Christianity affecting their relationships today and how they handle one another. And Jesus called to them into a, a relationship. It was reciprocal. And it wasn't just a destination. Now listen, I know this, that, that see, there, there's some denominations. See, that's why we have different denominations and spin-off cults and all this other stuff that goes on is because we've made the word Christian and Christianity so broad. I mean, there's some of you that you may not really look at me as a real pastor. I mean, I mean because you came out of a denomination, and there's several, to where we're the true church. Nobody else is going to heaven but us. There's going to be some people shocked when there's some other people there out of some different tribes. Right? I mean, my mother-in-law's in this camp, and she doesn't look at me as a real pastor because hers is a true church. 
I mean, she only looks at this as a Bible study. We've complicated it, right? I mean, it's crazy. See, he didn't invite you. Man, I'm telling you, he is inviting you into a relationship to know him. So it changes your, your life. Well, look at this. I mean, now listen. Now, hopefully, every time you read this phrase from day, today on, it will wipe you out. Because it just wipes me out every time I look at this text. And I, I just cannot get over this, but we'll understand it. So, so who did he invite? Verse 13. Those who he desired. That's crazy. The God of the universe that created the heavens and the stars and the earth and, and the animals and who created us that is holy and perfect and just, he called people to himself, what? Whom he desired. Do you realize he called them to himself before they even desired to have a relationship with him? And just get that. All the junk and the stuff and the the difficulty that is in their life. And he desired to have a relationship. Fact is, the scripture says that he is the one that initiated it. And there are people in their testimonies that say stuff like, I found Jesus. Well, he was never lost. No, Jesus found you. See, that's different. Christianity says, I found him. You know know why people have problems with Christianity? It's because they make it all about them. They're the center of the story. They're not coming into his story. They're inviting God into their story where I'm the authority in my life. I decide what's right and wrong. I decide how I treat people. I decide how I handle those relationships. And look at this. I mean, all of these men, their entire life had heard over and over and over that one day God would send this Messiah, this God incarnate, when God would become man, God would become flesh, and he was fully God and he was fully man, he was part of the Trinity, would come and he would die for their sins and he would remove their sins and they would have forgiveness. All their little life they have heard of this person, Jesus, the Messiah. I mean, imagine, if you will, put yourself in their place, maybe change it a little bit. How about that person, whether it's a sports star, a political person, and someone that you've read about, studied about, and passed, or whatever, and it would just, you would go nuts to get to know them. I mean, you would like, if I could get to know that person. But they are so famous, they are so big, whatever. And then one day, your cell phone rang, and it was them. And they said, I desire to have a relationship with you and get to know you. How would that make you feel? That's these guys. The God of the universe says, I desire to have a relationship with you before you desire to have a relationship with with me. Well, let's keep things in in context. I believe in the the pure preaching of his word. I believe that you've got to keep things in the proper context. So let's be true to scripture. In that context, he was making that offer to only to the twelve. Okay? So my question is, what about us? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. This is good and is pleasing in the Spirit of God, our Savior, 
who what? Who desires. Same Greek words, exact same word in the Mark account to the other 12. Who desires what? Some of the people. Oh, just the good people, the people that they got more good stuff than bad stuff in their life, uh, the people that knew the rules, the people that knew the regulations, the people that knew the do's and the don'ts and all that other stuff. Who desires what? All. In the Greek, I'm telling you, I've read it. In the Greek, you know what that word means? All. You're an all. It means everybody. Who desires all people to be what? Saved, to have a relationship with him. And to come to the knowledge of truth. Listen, God loves you. I I don't care where you are today. I don't care what junk and stuff and funk is in your past. God desires to have a relationship with you. He is not calling you into a religion. He is not calling you into rules and regulations in a religion, heaping guilt on you and a burden that you cannot carry. Man, I am telling you, He is the only way out. He is the only way to find forgiveness and relief to where you don't have to carry all of that stuff anymore. Listen, let me tell you something. Just like the 12, God desired to have a relationship with you before you even knew of him and before you even desired to have a relationship with him. That God has pursued you. That God, whether he puts Christians around you, whether he brings you to a church, whether you, whether you meet someone. Let me tell you something. The scripture says God is pursuing you right now. And you'll never experience the full purpose and meaning of your life apart from a relationship without Him. But the the problem is that we are born separated from God because of our sin. And Scripture says that He's a mediator, right? A mediator is someone that reconciles two parties that are at odds. Maybe you've been a mediator in your family or maybe you've been a mediator with a group of friends to where you had some family members that were estranged and they no longer would talk to each other. And so it made Christmas awkward and it made Thanksgiving awkward and it made birthday parties awkward and it just made life in general awkward. And maybe you became the mediator and it was like your job and your task and you were going to get the two parties together at the table and to reconcile them. And the scripture says this, that we were born separated from God because everyone falls short of the glory of God. None of us in this room are perfect. None of us in this room have it all together. We all have our stuff. And God sent a mediator. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Here's here's just the scripture, 1 Timothy. Let's move on a little bit farther. Verse 5, chapter 2. For there is one God and there is one mediator. Okay, so there's the word between God and men. And his name is Jesus Christ. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. He went to the cross. He took on my sin. He paid it. Which is the testimony given at the proper time. I mean, that's the gospel and... Man, there's this invitation, and here's the second thing. There's this intimacy or to where you accept, to where you follow him. Here's what the Scripture says, verse 13. And so Jesus made the call, and then the Scripture says, and they came to him. 
See, Jesus didn't force them. Jesus didn't uh, guilt them into it. Jesus didn't scream them into the relationship. He didn't threaten them. He didn't beg them. Jesus just simply made the call. Follow me. Come to me. Fact is, you know what? You can never find a place in Scripture where when someone rejected Jesus, this is a scary deal. You can never find one place in Scripture where Jesus made a call to follow him and someone rejected him and he pursued them and asked them a second and a third and a fourth time. He gives us free will. See, it's our choice whether we accept or whether we reject. And so the scripture is clear that he desires to have a relationship with you and he desires to forgive you. He desires to give you a new life, a different life. And so the question is, is have you responded to that invitation? And have you responded? Because he pursues you. I mean, most of us, we could look at our life and we can see how he placed either people around us or a church around us, or we responded to an Easter service, or we responded to advertising, or or we had that grandmother or that mom or that dad or or whoever. And so watch this, it's just so interesting. And so they came to him. It's interesting what that phrase means in the in the Greek. It means to set off on a journey with someone. He didn't call you to a destination. He called you to a, a journey. He called you to a relationship. The journey is building a relationship and developing a relationship with God to where it impacts every area of your life. See, when it impacts every area of your life, you don't need the do's and don'ts, right? Because your life is becoming more and more like Christ. It flows out of you. It's natural. I mean, there's a different focus in your in your life. And so, so then the question comes. We've got a lot of questions this morning, don't we? <laughs> so the question comes, what's the purpose of following him? Well, verse 14 says this. So what? So here we go. So they could be with him. The purpose is the relationship. He's not calling you into religion. He's not calling you into rules and regulations. He's not calling you in to heap guilt on you and burden you with everything. That He's just saying so that they would what? So that they would be with him. So you hear people say all the time, well, now that I'm a Christian, I'm just going to live for God. Listen, it's deeper than that. Or you'll hear people that are religious and like Christian religious, and they'll say, after all Jesus has done for me, I got to pay him back. Like you could. I mean, seriously. You know why people have guilt? Because how do you pay him back that gave his life for you? Listen, let me tell you something. Never in Scripture did he say, now that you're a believer, guess what? Here's more burden. Here's more rules. Here's more regulations. Guess what? Now you got to pay me back. You better get busy. See, the, the focus was a relationship. The focus was a journey. That's why 
we're launching in, in May a, a, a new, new focus here called the journey to where, to where we get it, to where we understand what it means to be a disciple. See, there's four identifying factors of a disciple. You see it here in these verses. You'll see it all the way through. We're calling them the four B's here at Fellowship of the Rockies so that we're like focused on that. And it's, what, it's this. It's believing in Jesus. A disciple is someone that is believing in Jesus. In other words, it's a continual relationship, believing in Jesus, belonging to his family, to where you belong to a church, to where you belong to a community. See, he called them to himself, but he also called them to a community. He called them to a community to be involved in, to be developed in. Um, He called them into a community of believers. I mean, you see this here, believing in Jesus, belonging to his family. Watch this, becoming a disciple. That's why life journaling is so important. That's why life groups are so important, to where you're no longer spectators, but you like participate in this, and you're you're part of the community. You're part of what's going on here. And the last one is this, is just, and then building his kingdom to where it's more than just about us. It's more than just what goes on inside of these four walls. And so you hear people all the time talking about this issue of, of following here. But here's the goal. The goal is intimacy. Watch this, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. So you want to know what eternal life is? You know what it's about? Then here we go. This is, this is eternal life. What? That they may know God. That they may have a relationship with him. That they know him, he knows them. It's talking about this intimacy, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Okay, so here's how my mind works. So if the goal is to know God, that's pretty big for me. That's pretty broad. I mean, what is that about? What does that look like? How do you live that out? Well, here's a daily goal. Spend time with him. If the overall goal is to know him, how do you get to know someone? You spend time with them, right? So if the overall goal is to know God, then the daily goal is what? To spend time with him. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you what it... Well, we'll ask it this way. Rhetorical, don't, ask, don't answer out loud. Uh, what is the most difficult thing that you do in the Christian life consistently? What is the most difficult thing? It's probably spending time with him daily, right? It's probably taking that time and opening the word and opening the Bible and reading it and applying it to your life, right? I mean... And you know why it's so difficult? Let's just be real here this morning. You know why it's so difficult? Because the enemy knows how powerful it is in your life when you spend time with him. That's why you can go through your whole day without any interruptions, anything going on. Your mind can be focused and you open up the word and oh my. People start calling you. People start walking in because here's the deal. Satan is not threatened by Christians who never spend any time. It's just rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. Why? Because their life is powerless. You know when he's threatened? When Christians are willing, disciples of Christ are willing to open up his word and just spend time with him and get to know him because his life begins to pour out of him. Sometimes I feel like that mechanic that is telling someone that wants their car to last hundreds of thousands of miles and never have any breakdowns and say, Man, every 3,000 miles you need to change your oil and you need to, you need to do service and, and checkups and all this other stuff. And they're like, man, I, I want the desired outcome, but I, I don't want to have to do that. Or I feel like the medical doctor that's telling people if you want to live a long time and you want to be healthy, then <laughs> there's some, it's kind of a hard word for me to say, but <laughs> there's some foods you can't eat. <laughs> and you need to eat healthy and you need to exercise you need to get the right amount of sleep, and you need to try to live a stress-free life and try to get rid of that stress and know how to manage it. Can I tell you this? 
the most difficult thing for me as a pastor is to convince people the power of reading his word and spending time. I'm just telling you. You wouldn't believe the excuses. You wouldn't believe the answers I get back. And to read his word with integrity. See, there's some people that look at his word and they read it kind of like an intellectual study and to debate it and decide what they accept, what they don't. There's some that read it like a devotional thought and, and there's some that read it for inspiration because all they want out of it is make their life easier, make their life better, make their husband better, make their wife better, change everybody around them but them because everybody else is wrong but them. But I'm telling you, when you life journal, and we'll help you with that, we got the stuff in the Welcome Center. I'm telling you, when you approach his word that is God revealing himself to you, oh my. You cannot hear from God through his word without it changing your life and changing your direction. You just can't. Leads us to the last thing, and that is influence. There's an invitation, there's intimacy, and then the last thing is this, is that there's, there's, there's influence, where he has influence in, in your life. Look at this in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. And so he appointed the twelve, whom also he named as apostles, so that they may be with them. He's calling them into a relationship, and he might send them out. There's building his kingdom right there. And so send them out to do what? To preach. Well, wait a minute. You're going, wait a minute. That's your job. See, the Greek word here for preach is not standing up in a large congregation proclaiming. That's in Scripture. But that is proclaiming as you go. In other words, he sends you out into your workplace and into your community and into your home and into your neighborhood, and you make people aware that you are a disciple of Christ and you follow him. And they're able to see something different in your life because of influence. Watch this in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, that does not mean Texans, by the way. I had someone come up to me and ask me, hey, that sounds like a Texan. No. So, and they perceived that they were educated, common men, they were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because they recognized that they had spent time with Jesus. They recognized that there was something different about them. How will you know? How will they know that you are my disciple? That you love one another. Just as I have loved you. And when he influences your life, you don't need the do's and the don'ts because you begin looking more and more like Christ every day. In his life, your life is lived out in the overflow of him. The greatest ministry that I do is out of the overflow of the daily spending Time with him. To where I know him. 
and he knows me. To where it causes us to treat people around us totally different. Because it's not all about us any longer. So the question for you this morning. I told you lots of questions. You a disciple or just a Christian? that uses Christianity to justify everything that you're doing in your life, whether it's of him or not. Because I'm telling you, if you're just a Christian, you will never find the purpose, the peace, and the fulfillment that you are looking for. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you this morning, what is God asking you to do as a result of this message? I mean, it's, it's, it's just a question we ask here every week. What is God ask, how is God asking you to respond? Some of you this morning, he has made the invitation. He desires a relationship with you. You may have never accepted him, and you may have never come to him. You have may, may never have said yes to him. Maybe this morning is a day that you will say, you know, God, I say yes to you. I desire to have a relationship. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that looks like. Well, guess what? You're in a church that would love to help you. Fact is, we would count it joy. We would count it. We would count ourselves blessed to walk. Listen, everyone in this room that knows him, we all started out the same way. That's why he calls us belonging to his family so that we pour into one another. We're not spectators. We're participators and we're willing to help people and mentor them and work with them and come in life groups with them. And maybe you're a believer. Let me ask you this. Are you a disciple? Does he have any influence in your life? Is his word the authority in your life or are you the authority? And maybe today you need to say, you know what, Lord, I haven't met with you in so long. I'm going to learn how to life journal, all that other stuff. I'm going to figure it out. Whatever God has for you, would you just respond?